0: Welcome to Bite-Sized Agency Briefs, a webinar series that packs a ton of important agency information on one topic from one expert into a 25-minute brief. Why 25 minutes? Because who has the attention span for much more these days? And you can squeeze in a listen between meetings with time for a bathroom break or coffee refill before your next meeting. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bite Sized Agency Briefs. I'm your host, Steve Guberman from Agency Outside, where I coach agency owners to build the agency of their dreams. I'm really excited to be here today with my friend Monica, who manages global content for MD Inc., a content creation company. Her goal is to help make small companies grow and large companies painlessly maintain their digital presence. Uh, and I'm honored to call you both a friend and a neighbor. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Um, How are you today?
1: Um, Doing well, Steve, and thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast.
0: Yeah, uh, it's long overdue. I feel like there's a lot of relevancy in the big buzz these days. We'll get into that in a minute, but talk about your agency, your background, how you got into the agency space and, and what's going on with the agency today.
1: Absolutely. So a little bit of background, Um, this was all an accident and kind of an accidental entrepreneur where I started in with eBay in Silicon Valley, I had really great mentors and and coaches and peers. And when it came time to move on, it was it was a no brainer that I would continue creating content for different peers and different companies. Um, And then over time, I mean, it's been, I think, 12 years, it'll be this year where i just grew a huge team of content writers around the world we are always remote from the very start before it was cool and businesses i work with really like that because it helps keep the cost down and they just get this beautiful project at the end of the deadline Um, so continuing on with that through the pandemic i just grew my team even more really interesting projects everybody's understanding the value of content creation and seo and mm-hmm. I'm I'm really fortunate to be in the position I'm in with with my job. I love it.
0: Interesting, you call it a job. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna poke on that in a minute. But so your journey was in house to becoming an agency owner. Uh, obviously, twelve years into it, you you've got to prefer this over being an actual employee in house. Um, did you take that? that uh industry is is that your focus industry are you guys more generalists or how do you play
1: so the industry we're industry agnostic i'd say so the b2c so the ebays of the world are fantastic to work with and fun because it's it's high Mm -hmm. volume very quick turnaround and then the b2b stuff i work on it's more quarter to quarter and year to year where it's a little more strategic a little more purposeful um not just focused on the seo but also the user experience so that they can share something valuable with their audience so it's a very different type of writing very different type of client and i love it again i just i love what i do because it helps the small guy kind of grow and get found whereas the larger companies with an in-house staff that's all they do all day long Um, for smaller companies less than 10 people even they likely don't have a marketing department And so any marketing that they do is just accidental.
0: Interesting. Okay. So industry agnostic, but you're focusing on content for search, um, to help those businesses grow and get found better, um, found better. That sounds weird, but yeah, that's essentially what it is. Um, you mentioned, all right, so you've got a job at your own agency. Is that what it feels like? Or like, what's your day to day as the owner?
1: So, and maybe i misspoke when i said job it's it's my what i get to do every day right and I, yeah. i'm very happy i get to do this every day um my day-to-day is always very different because it depends where in the calendar certain clients are and if working off a new project as you know the beginning of any client engagement is always the most time sensitive and time heavy but then after that if the processes are in place it's kind of lather rinse repeat maintain and then pivot as needed. If, if a campaign didn't do well, why didn't it do well? Let's make it do better next time. So my day-to-day really, really depends on what clients need me. Um, mm-hmm. Some days I get to work maybe five, six hours. Other days it's 12 hours, but I think that's just the life of an agency owner.
0: Yeah, it can be. It doesn't have to be. It really depends. You know, A lot of the clients or the agencies that I work with, um, at the onset is I'm working 12, 18 hours a day. How do I shift from that? And so it can be, but it doesn't have to be. And it really depends on the team that you have and the processes that you have. Now you've scaled quite a bit. What are like, what are some of those secrets that you've had to have in place in order to scale as opposed to, cause there's a vast difference between scaling and growing and shoot, I don't know what to do at this size, right? So your scale seems healthier. What are some of the things you've had in place that have helped you do that?
1: I will say back from the eBay days when I started the teams of global writers, I'd have hundreds of people under me. And I was only in my 20s Hmm. at the time. And that could be very overwhelming, but I didn't have time to think about that because we had to push forward. And that's when I was really working crazy hours. But... As I'm growing for my personal business, it's really working smarter, not harder. So unless we're working on a huge project with hundreds of product descriptions, really my core team is only 15 people, 20 for including the project managers. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very, very much easier to manage a group of up to 20 as opposed to 500, where some of them don't speak English, which is fine because you know for German content they should speak German first, right? Um, it is a different beast
0: yeah so so that's a good point you mentioned you know for german content you should be speaking the native language you should be hip to the local cultures and nuances and things like that and that's something you guys focus on is localized content your client base i assume is global
1: absolutely yeah so I mean, at this point in time, I think most companies are global or have the capability of being global. Like, I'm not sure if your agencies help people in England or Europe, but it's not out of the question mm-hmm. if a client came to you that you could also help them um, with with content. Absolutely, it needs to be relevant for the market you're trying to explore. And I've made the argument where if if it's a company based in Boston. You can't speak in just terms and references localized for Boston people. It needs to also be relevant for Texas and California and let's add Canada and other countries that speak (laughs) English into that too. Um, You don't want it to be so white bread that it appeals to everybody because then it's appealing to everybody rather than making somebody feel special and connected.
0: Mm. So that's that personalized touch that you're able to do. So, So instead of being robotic and just kind of built for the engines, you're personalizing it so it's built for the people that it resonates with them on an emotional level.
1: Correct. They make buying decisions emotionally, right?
0: Yeah. Now this might, this might be giving away your secret sauce, but I mean, how do you do that, you know, from like make giving it that emotional connection?
1: So I like to hire people that are passionate and well-versed in the topic they're discussing. So Some Mm -hmm. of my clients are like science related pharmaceutical med device. So they are all subject matter experts in their field. They're not just, you know, a random person, um, where they might've done this for 20 years and now they're retired and just looking for some side cash, right? They don't need to be a full-time employee to write just 13 blogs a quarter for me. Mm -hmm. So that's my secret sauce. They have a passion for it, or at least an interest in it. And obviously the competency to write about it.
0: Yeah. And, and does, does does everybody report into you? Like, are you managing this entire mass global team of writers? And if so, do you speak a whole lot of languages also?
1: So yes and no for, for all of the questions you just asked where I have project (laughs) managers that specialize in those languages and they are also local to those markets. So when we had a project based on, um, in, in Spain, where we, I had a Spanish project manager, all the writers were Spanish, and they their preferred Spanish was Catalonian, because apparently there's a few hmm. different types of Spanish. Yep. Um, and I made sure that everything was just so, so the client was comfortable with it. So my PM reported to me, um, if there was problems with the writers, they would come to me in their broken English, like, we have we have a problem, let's take care of it. Um, but I am the central hub for most of my clients to reach out to directly because at the end of the day, it's my company. The buck stops with me. I have to make sure mm-hmm. everybody's happy on, on all fronts. Um, and then if I speak many languages, I dabble, but I definitely don't speak fluently or read or write well enough to do any client justice with the content that they need. Um, but during, during the pandemic, I started picking up a little bit of Italian honing a little more of my Portuguese, and then I grew up speaking Czech and English, obviously.
0: Wow. Okay. So you got a lot a lot of languages going on there and a little enough to navigate it, but not enough to be proficient that you're writing or editing content. And you've got people localized that can do that for you.
1: Absolutely. So you're not just
0: using the Google Translate button and saying, we wrote an 800 word article, we're going to have it translated into seven languages now.
1: No, I mean, there's there's an easy way to do things and then there's the right way to do them. The the grammatical mm-hmm. errors and, and sometimes writers do try to pawn off content like that um, just with mm-hmm. Google Translate or other platforms and the editors and the PMs pick up on that right away. And I, I have a one strike policy. Like, I'll let you pass the first time, but the second time you're gone and everybody knows that. And I try to be fair, um, but we, we can't have content that's plagiarized, stolen, poorly done, or just bad ethics on the team.
0: So that'll bring me to the question about easy versus done right. The big buzz now is AI. Agencies are yeah. shaking in their boots in some cases that they're going to be replaced by chat GPT, that a robot is going to do their job. How are you guys leveraging or tiptoeing into the space of AI? And are you leveraging it? How is it working with you and your team?
1: So... the. Thank you for asking that question, Steve, because I have had this conversation that it's going to put me out of business, and I don't think it will. If anything, it Mm -hmm. might pivot how we operate, but I have certain clients that say absolutely no AI to write this, and I'm like, of course not. We would never consider that as as part of the process, Um, and I say this again because you need the human touch to appeal to humans, and when you spend so much time creating your brand guidelines, um, understanding what are reputable sources, what aren't, it's important that a human is able to objectively and subjectively look through those articles to cite their sources, to create something that somebody wants to read. And currently the way I understand chat GPT works, they aggregate content from different sites. When things are repeated multiple times, they add more credence to that. And yes, they can mm-hmm. cite their source, but it doesn't make that opinion or that, that fact, and I'm using air quotes around that word, um, true so that still needs to be verified and so the time you would take to verify different facts to review an article to make it according to your brand guidelines i would argue it's cheaper to just do it right the first time it's like a kid in high school cheating you, you kind of learn more by trying to write down everything on a two by two little cheat sheet than you would just studying it from the first time right um So maybe I'll be proven wrong in a couple of years. I'll be out of business, or at least not content writing. We might just be editing, but I don't. I'm not too worried about it.
0: Good, and I think that's the right mindset. I think the mindset, the the fear-driven mindset of this is going to put me out of a job. And your clients have already said we don't want it written by robots. Um, There will be clients and there will be companies that will say, if I can save money, let's just have a robot do it. And they will most likely see. Um, uh, the negative impact on their search scores, the negative impact on their user interactions, the negative impact on their conversion rates, things like that. Uh, but that's not to say that an agency can't leverage it from a research standpoint, from a, um, not even a strategy standpoint, but, you know, give me an outline to, to work from or some sort of a framework. And so, um, you know, I, I know developers that are using it to double check code Uh, I just, this morning, read an article about somebody had it write a WordPress plugin for them in five minutes to do a thing for them. So like, there are some merits to it, and I think it's pretty interesting, but I don't think it's going to put agencies out of business. And the clients that want to jump to it, they're probably not the right clients anyway, right?
1: Right. What's the saying? You can have it fast, cheap, or good, but you can only choose two? Yes. (laughs) I have that hanging um, on my wall right here. There's a Venn diagram.
0: Fast, cheap, and great. Yeah.
1: Great. Yeah. So if you only have to choose two, which would you choose? And if you're an agency just starting out or a company just starting Mm -hmm. out, you're probably going to put more emphasis on the the fast and cheap as opposed to the great.
0: Yeah. So so are you leveraging AI in, in any way as far as like upfront research or strategy support or keyword research or anything like that or not even a little bit?
1: so interesting about keyword research we have software that helps with that and then obviously access to google mm-hmm. analytics google search console all of that and kind of the tried and true ways um mm-hmm. there's there's obviously help in that because they can scrape the data and we can understand what people actually want to read versus what we think they want to read sometimes those are very different different things yeah um i want to talk on also a, a company that i used to work through um, creating content Search metrics, and I don't know if you've heard of them, but it it makes it, in Mm -hmm. my opinion, like the first AI for SEO, where it tells you how many times to use what keyword, this the volume of content you need to include, whether it's five hundred or five thousand words, Um, and then you can kind of pop in and see where successful companies are ranking and see what sentences they're choosing with those keywords. So technically, you can plug in every successful sentence from these Mm. these websites and be competitive against them. Um, will the story make sense at the end? I don't know. You still need the human to figure that out and put it all, put the puzzle pieces together. Um, but it has been around for a while and it's obviously very expensive and cost prohibitive for some smaller companies to use per brief, but it's, it's not impossible to mix the the AI or software related content into your brand guidelines, but you need that human to be the intermediary there.
0: Yeah, I love that it, for you and your team, it keeps coming back to that human touch, the emotional connection to the content and not just writing for the robots. The thing that I think is super interesting about the robots is a lot of it is historical. We can see what's performing based on what has performed. We can run it against an algorithm, but you really don't get that, I um, do not even speculative, but the user intent or the buyer's intent on how this might make them respond or react. I mean, does AI help in that sense?
1: Um, Maybe you would know better than me, but I'm going to say no to that. Okay. You know, unless you can specify, you know, I want a piece that talks about why I shouldn't buy the iPhone 14, right? Where you're talking the converse side. Um, I don't know.
0: Yeah. To me, that's, I think, you know, it's all, and you you mentioned it's all emotional response. So what's going to make me respond in a way that the brand wants me to respond Buy a thing or do some sort of a conversion. Right. And so if, if the robots can say, if you write it in this way versus this way, and like you said, you know, search metrics says, if you use these keywords, this amount of times with this volume, that'll make people do a certain thing. I mean, that's the psychology of advertising. That's the psychology of marketing, psychology of content. So, yeah, to me, that's pretty interesting stuff that um, I think some, some agencies play into that far better and effectively than others. But I mean, you guys are not just content, your search results, your search, search optimization, right?
1: Absolutely. So my approach has always been, and I would like to continue to do it, 51% is for the user, 49% is for Google. Um, So everything is optimized for the reader to get to the bottom of the page, because if they're not reading to the bottom, that's not going to help the Google machine understand that your value and your content is relatable. You Mm -hmm. want them to click around, not click off. So writing for the person, writing with the human touch, not with, you know, first person directive of, oh, I use this product and it's wonderful. We're not writing reviews of products. Um, It's more of why do you need this product how will it change your life how will it be a a good gift how will it help your health you know whatever the the call to action is um it needs to be written throughout the piece not just at the end or as an afterthought
0: yeah yeah i think that's vital and i love that you guys focus on that so switching away from the tactical part of what you do i want to ask more kind of top level stuff about your business so being women a woman run business do you you know what what do you do to maintain culture with a global team but also how how do you feel um or do you feel like you're at an advantage or disadvantage or playing in 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 the tech industry as a woman-run business
1: so i was just thinking about this the other day i being in tech i'm usually one of the only if not a few women in the room the majority is always Mm -hmm. male and it always has been and the other side of it is the medical device pharmaceutical companies that are all throughout new jersey are mostly male-dominated as well right so Mm -hmm. i'm again usually the only woman or one of two women in the room i don't see that as a problem because i i know the value of the content and what i can do for their company So that doesn't bother me. The only time it counts to a disadvantage is when people try telling me how to do my job. Mm -hmm. And they're a professional in their field and what they do. And they're hiring me because I'm a professional in my field and what I do. Um, So regardless of their gender or identity, um, I'm there to do something and they're there to hire me to do it. And so as long as we have that mutual respect, it's been fine. For some people on my team, and I, the majority of my team are female. Um, I, I do have some men in the PM position as well as writers and editors, but the majority is female. And that's, that's not on purpose. I'm not hiring them because they are women. I am hiring them because they are capable to do the job I need and they can deliver results that I need. They just happen to be women. Um, so keeping up morale, you know, if they have to deal with a, a client that's not too happy, I'll usually join that call. And you know, with our powers combined, we can get to a resolution. Um, but generally, setting the expectation from the beginning that we're peers and we're equals, around are on the same team, it it kind of mitigates any potential problem. But you know, you can fire a client just like they can fire a vendor.
0: Yeah, and, and I always encourage the heck out of that. But I love that you focus on talent first, both from your perspective in a room as maybe one or only one of a few. Uh, female uh, experts, but also in how you're finding talent, you're focusing on talent first. And, and I don't think there's a, a right or wrong way to do that. I know plenty of agencies that are, we are focused on elevating women and we want to, you know, female led team. And, and so awesome. Um, but I think the talent needs to speak for itself. And if they happen to be female, great. You're helping elevate them as well, which right. is really awesome. And I, I certainly commend that. Um, what about culture? I mean, how do you maintain that in a global team?
1: Great question. Um, I don't think I'm doing a good enough job or as good as I would like to do maintaining the culture. Um, we will have an all hands in maybe up in Boston because I'll have a few writers in town for that. Um, but that'll be the awesome. first time we're actually seeing each other in years. Um, and it won't be my whole team. Obviously, not everybody can get out there so it it will be a great group and hopefully we'll have some good laughs and, and kind of grow with each other um but it's always been remote and some people have been working with me for 10 years you know they kind of came with me from the eBay time i've never met them right so how do you have culture with somebody that you've never had a handshake with or mm-hmm. you know shared shared a cup of coffee with so it'll be interesting um as i grow into this role more and more each year if I can meet more people in person. Um, but it's not mandatory.
0: Yeah. Interesting. I love that. Uh, I think that'd be super exciting. I'd love to hear back after you all meet up in, in Beantown up in uh, in Boston and see how that goes and what kind of exercises you do to kind of gel together as a team. That's awesome. A uh, couple minutes left. I want to switch Thanks. over to some kind of non-agency related rapid fire questions for you. So, um, First is what was a big lesson that you took away from 2022 that you bring into how you do things differently in 23, whether it's personal or professional.
1: Um, I think my biggest lesson in 2022 is surrounding yourself with people that support you as opposed to diminish you. And that's not mm-hmm. to say if you're doing, if I was doing something stupid, people wouldn't be like, Hey, stop doing that stupid thing. It's more of, um, you know, your friends, your peers, the, the people in your holistic group, not your professional group, make mm-hmm. sure that they're on your team when it's good and when it's bad. So when you are, when you have a champion, you tend to exceed expectations. If you're always told, oh, that's stupid, that sucks. Why are you doing it that way? It kind of squashes your creativity because maybe some of your ego is tied to it. But for me, it, it was such an eye opener when I, I was talking to people that were encouraging, like you. Um, or others that just diminished me, and I, I understood that it was their journey, not mine, that they were mm-hmm. talking about. Um, so once I differentiated that, I kind of exploded a, a little bit more with my numbers and my clients, and it was great.
0: Oh, I love that! Absolutely, surround yourself with people you know with people that are going to lift you up and build you up, and get rid of the the negativity. Yes, good for you. Um, what's okay. What's a new hobby or book or podcast or something that you're super into these days.
1: So I am finally pulling the trigger and getting some beehives this this spring. Um so I've been reading about it probably for a year and a half and now it's it's time to get those bees in my backyard. Um so oh
0: cool. A new
1: hobby and yeah. I'll get you a little pot of honey if it comes out well in the the fall.
0: When it comes Um, out well. Oh, I'm so excited for you. I want to hear all about that. You need to like live podcast that or something. That's super cool. I've been on the fence with chickens in the same way, and I feel like I'm close to pulling the trigger there, too.
1: Yeah, you can't just have one chicken now.
0: Yeah, in my town, I'm legally allowed to have four. So we'll see. There you go. And then finally, what's the best piece of business advice that you can offer somebody that's listening to this today?
1: Um, This, this quote's kind of stuck with me. So it's not mine. I'm just claiming that talent Mm -hmm. hustle beats talent when talent hustle. Um, So you don't have to Mm -hmm. be the best at something. You just be consistent at it and things will happen. Um, Yeah. Just keep going. Keep pushing.
0: I love that. That's awesome. Monica, I am so grateful for your time today. I hope to run into you at a local coffee shop very, very soon. If not, let's make it happen either way. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Steve.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Bite-Sized Agency Briefs. As always, if you found value in this episode, chances are someone else will too, so please share it with your network. Also, if you know someone with expert knowledge on a topic that agency owners would love, drop me a note. Let's get them on. Finally, find someone to hug today.